0: What's up? What's up? Another week, another podcast. This is your favorite football podcast, The Football Academy. I'm here, Sapoon, tonight with Brayden. How's it going, sir? It's uh, it, it's all right. Um, Arsenal a bit frustrating this past
1: weekend. uh, But a lot of really interesting things to talk about. So this should be a fun
0: one. Absolutely. It is going to be a fun one. So before we get into uh, all the games that happened this past weekend, do you want to give uh, the listeners a... Uh, uh, rundown of uh, how did we do in our betting Uh, yeah this week week. i'd really like to do
1: that um so if you're if you haven't listened to uh the football academy before uh, i'll go through real quick what we do here uh we have 100 pod bucks per match to bet on the three-way money line um so each team wins and then draws a possible outcome and uh, we take the odds and then tally up and see how we did at the end of each week. And so we had a pretty good week uh, this week. Uh, Sapoon got six of the 10 games correct uh, for a return of 1362 pod dollars and seven pod cents. Uh, I also had six of the 10 games correct, uh, but had a little bit better uh, return on some of those to return 1491 pod dollars and 51 pod cents. Both profitable, though, are a really solid weekend uh, for us, I think.
0: Absolutely, and it definitely was a solid weekend because we painted the whole fucking town of Manchester red. We'll get into that, but first things first, let's get into the first game of the weekend. We kicked things off at Turf Moor. Burnley won Arsenal 1. I I wouldn't say it was a shocking result, but at the end of the day, when we looked at XG, it tells you a whole different picture instead of the 1-1 penalty shout, a mistake. And uh, overall, a very, I guess, a point that Sean Dash would take any day of the week, and uh, two points lost for Arsenal in the way I guess Arteta and the boys are going to look at it.
1: Yeah, it's this was an incredibly frustrating uh, game to watch for an Arsenal fan. You have uh, just thinking back to earlier game against Burnley, w- where the only goal scored was the Abomining own goal, and then you have Grant Jaka kicking the ball off a of Chris Wood. Uh, that, that's five points that Arsenal have dropped this year from really they're just their own mistakes to Burnley. They, they didn't even really do anything in this game. Um, real bad mistake by Grant Jacca, but I, this is a team that has some of those individual mistakes in them. Like this isn't anything new for Xhaka. He's, he's had some errors uh, leading to goals before you've got guys like David Louise in the lineup who, you know, it, while a pretty good player also has mistakes in him uh, and this is just kind of where this Arsenal team is right now. Like they are look really good at times and do some good things. And then uh, just can't really all, get it all the way over the line. Uh, it's a little unfortunate for Jaka. I, I think that he's come under a little bit more. I, I don't want to say more criticism than he should get. But it is when you play out the back like we do, you are know, you're, you're going to have these kind of mental fuck ups from time to time and, and give up a goal. Uh, it should also be noted that Arsenal's goal came from the same playing out of the back. Like it was, you know, party uh, de- getting it from Leno, playing it into William and the way Arsenal went. So it's kind of like you saw the good and bad of that in this game. I, I don't know. Like, I'm, I don't want to talk about the handball because I I'm just so tired of talking about English refing decisions at this point. like, I, I don't know what a handball is anymore, and I'll just leave it at that.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I think I think Twitter summed it up pretty well on one of the few times that they have done that. The football Twitter community was they put up those four pictures of Hudson Odoi's handball. You had uh, Conte's hand uh, attempted handball in the Liverpool game. Then you had the Fulham fucking handball, and this one. And the only one that gets called is the one where the guy's hands is on his thighs. Yeah, <laughs> like you know. So so at this point, is I think you we also summed it up perfectly that England's interpretation of the handball rule seems to be very scarred from the memories of uh, a certain Diego Maradona. But uh, I will say this about Arsenal. And I think, and I I really relate to what happened in the Arsenal game just because it, it, this is what it was like watching United last year. There are going to be days when you're not at your absolute best. And if you're not, the team is just not good enough on those days to beat a team like Burnley. Like, in theoretically, they should be right. The XG shows you and all of that in terms of execution, like it was a bad executed pass that ended up giving Burnley the equalizer and a bad execution from Pepe. That should have been a goal on the other side. So I, and because that would have even if he got the shot, yep. it would have added to the XG even further because that was a great chance. Yep. So, you know, it, <laughs> it just shows the superiority of Arsenal. But at the end of the day, also the inconsistencies, as you've said. So it, it is one of those games, and this is why playing Burnley is annoying. This is why playing uh, a team that puts 10 men behind the ball is annoying. And uh, I guess credit to them for, I, I mean, at being at the right place at the right time to get the goal for Woods. But outside of that, don't really have a whole lot to say about Burnley.
1: Yeah, I I do think we should give Burnley some credit, right? Like they decided that they could press Um against arsenal playing out of the back and they got rewarded for it like it that's perfectly fine and it's just arsenal wasn't good enough this day like i i don't want to sound like i'm making excuses or anything like arsenal just weren't good enough you got to put away some of the chances uh especially in the first half when
0: arsenal were really dominant yeah that is a very very fair statement let's move on to the next game we had sheffield united nil, southampton two a good win for Southampton, but they ended up losing Danny Ings in the games. That could be a bit of a situation. But I think overall for them, like they're going to finish in the Premier League and they aren't about to get relegated anymore. So I think that that was that for them. But a good win nonetheless. And Sheffield United uh, are mathematically getting closer and closer to finally being relegated. And uh, a team that I think a lot of people expected something from this season and nothing's just gone their way. And again, if we are going to say that it's been a condensed season and having a thin squad hurts like Sheffield United, they have a very thin squad. They don't have the financial resources of like, uh, of even the clubs like a Fulham that's around them. So, um, I think Sheffield United paid the price and at the end of the day, credit to Southampton finally won a game again in the premier league. And, uh, yeah, don't really have anything else to add. To that situation. Yeah, I, I think that's fair
1: for Southampton. This was mostly about kind of stopping the downward momentum. Uh, one thing to add is uh, Shea Adams ha- was subjected to a really poor challenge by Fleck uh, right at the end of this match as well and was kind of hobbling a bit after it. So something to watch there with Southampton because uh, they're, an- they're another team that can ill afford to be, you know, not just down Danny Ings. They're down Theo Walcott, potentially down Trey Adams like they're they're very thin up front at this point Um, but lots of credit to them for this game Uh, they just need to kind of stop losing matches and just generate a little bit of momentum because they don't need much to get them over the line like at this point I think they're completely safe they'll be fine uh, in the Premier League
0: and I think that's really what they can hope for at this point because uh, nothing else really seems to be within their grasp at this point point. Um, moving on to the next game, Aston Villa taking on Wolverhampton Wanderers. We nailed this. This, this was going to be a draw. And I think missing the talisman from both those teams and Jack Grealish and Raul Jimenez really takes the sting out of the game. And even though it was a fairly entertaining game, in my opinion, um, ended nil-nil. And uh, I think both the teams are going to take the point and just move on.
1: Yeah, I've got to agree with that. I think it was a pretty open game for the most part, as as open as Wolves will generally Play. Uh, they like to keep it pretty compact uh, at the back most of the games, but they had the better chances in this one. Uh, they had a couple chances really like in the six yard box that they probably should have put away. But I mean, Martinez keeping another clean sheet, a really, really good pickup for Villa this year. Uh, and that's like the two teams that are pretty even that played to a draw. Like it it was open and entertaining, like you said, but at, at the end of the day, I think you're right. Like, they just don't have the talent without their kind of key players on each team to really make a breakthrough.
0: Yeah. And, uh, that really showed in this game, in my opinion, uh, let's move on to a game that I found very, very entertaining and credit, real credit to Leicester city for figuring a way out to win the game against Brighton down one, 0 and ended up coming back and winning the game to one. I think this is a game that's going to give, uh, Leicester a lot of confidence. And as far as Brighton goes, man, like, no, no, but I think, I think they should have at least gotten a draw out of this game. But again, another game that they play well in and don't end up getting the result. Yeah. Brighton to me are in real, real trouble
1: right now. Like they're, they're a team that they're now even on points with Fulham. And I I realize that Brighton have a game in hand, but they've had a lot of trouble getting results uh, this year. And that's been consistent all throughout the season. Um, and I, I, it's concerning to me, uh, for Brighton, uh, but I think you're right. Like, I think this is a game they probably should have gotten a point from, and it, it just kind of didn't go that way for them. A lot of credit to Lester, uh, to dig in and, and get the win here. Um, when you're talking about the top four push, all the injuries that have had, they really needed something to kind of go their way and this went their way for them. So I, a lot of credit to them, um. We'll see where it turns in the rest of the season.
0: And I think this was a much-needed win for them to keep momentum uh, to finish top four. And as far as Brighton goes, the next two teams we're going to talk about are primarily the reason why I think they might be saved. Because those two teams are even worse than Brighton in terms of getting results. And that's West Brom and Newcastle who played each other in a 0-0 draw that, I mean... I don't know who was surprised by that scoreline. Like, I don't know what anybody else expected from that game. But for as far as both of us were concerned, we kind of said this is what's going to happen, and uh, that's what ended up happening. Yeah, two teams that were just plenty happy to go
1: and kick the ball around and and maybe see if they get a chance.
0: I I thought Newcastle
1: might have a chance of getting a goal because Brighton, or not Brighton, uh, West Brom do have the worst defense by goals allowed in the league this year. I think they've tightened up a little bit in the past few matches. Uh, It's probably from Sam Allardyce tightening things down a little bit, but they are a team that's been leaky at the back at times this year. So a little surprising that it was nil-nil, but absolutely not surprising at all that it was a draw.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I think overall, uh, in terms of both these teams, uh, neither one of them could have really gone and tried to win the game because a loss could be really, really fatal in this kind of a situation. So I think that's why... We saw the game that we ended up seeing. And again, uh, nobody can be really surprised with a draw in this scenario. And then came Sunday where all the fun started at Anfield. I mean, Jurgen Klopp famously said, let's talk about six, baby. So here we are. Let's talk about those six fucking defeats. And uh, what's gone wrong for Liverpool Football Club? Because losing to Chelsea is one thing. Losing to United is one thing. But three of their six defeats have come against Brighton, Burnley, and Fulham. And no matter how many injuries happen to you, that is just unacceptable in my opinion.
1: Yeah, I, I've got to agree. And it's it's one thing if they were on the wrong side of luck or XG or if there were like some big decisions going against them and that sort of thing. And that's just not the case. Liverpool are just getting beat by Everyone who plays them in the Premier League at this point. I've said it a couple times on on this pod and with you personally when we just talk. I really think that this Liverpool team don't have the motivation to play for the Premier League at this point. Uh, maybe when they play United later in the season, maybe when they play Arsenal, uh, that they'll get a little bit of that. But they don't look like a team that really cares what happens in the Premier League like I at no point did I see this team really get fired up and you know want to respond in this game and just Fulham deserved winners they possibly should have scored another one um it's not looking good at Liverpool
0: right now. I realize that's a quite obvious statement. Yeah, I mean, I think as far as the Premier League goes, this has gone as bad as it could have been. Like, I, I think, yeah, I, I think this is, even considering Leicester, I think this is the worst title defense I've ever seen in my life.
1: So, yes, I would agree with that. And there's also consideration that Leicester was such a surprise and no one really expected them to defend the next year. Lots of people expected Liverpool to be
0: challenging for the title this yeah. year. and. I mean, this has gone as bad as it could have been. And I mean, to be fair, they can still salvage their season if they go on a Champions League run and win. But the way they're playing, I I would be stunned if they actually turned up in Champions League and won it. Like, at the end of it all, I think things have gone really wrong in terms of injuries like Van Dyke's hurt, Madep's hurt, Gomez hurt, blah, blah, blah. Their identity was not to win games 1-0 the way Jose Mourinho goes about doing his business and such like something feels wrong about this team I absolutely love it but for all the Liverpool fans who are listeners I would love your opinions on this because I don't know what can happen I think you are gonna say that players come back so next year is gonna be your year and overall I still don't know how you're like how how is this acceptable They had never lost five straight home games in a row. Now they've lost six. Like this is getting worse. And if they if they finish bottom half, like there has to be a serious conversation about what the fuck just happened. Because you don't go from being champions with 30, I mean 20 something points ahead of City to finishing bottom half. Just like I understand injury. Salah's still playing, Firmino's still playing, Mane's still playing. Uh, what's his name Wani Alham's still there Thiago the new dimension in the team is still there so like Trent Alexander-Arnold Andy Robertson they're all playing so like just because you lost a couple key pieces is not a justifiable action to say we are going to go finish fucking 15th and I don't think they're going to end up I think 11th 12th is the lowest that they can go but you get the point point. and yeah I, I, I'm kind of speechless about this whole how Liverpool's turned out I, it's a great I really enjoy it right now but at the same time, like I don't know what uh, what to pinpoint the whole situation at.
1: Yeah, I've got to agree with that. And just to be clear, like I know that the Liverpool finishing bottom half seems kind of nuts, but eleventh right now is Leeds at thirty five points, Liverpool are at forty three. But Leeds have a game in hand on them. Like it's it's not and they play them right, and they play them, so it's not it's not unreasonable to think that Liverpool could fall. To that point, like it's unlikely, still probably. Like I think they still probably figure something out. I don't know, but if they don't snap out of
0: this at least somewhat soon, it's a very real possibility. Yeah, and uh, that definitely could be of a, a sight to uh, see for at least the Man United fans. We're gonna definitely enjoy that. Talking about Man United fans and enjoyment, a hundred and eighty-fifth Manchester derby, a game that two. 21 game streaks it came against each other. City way more impressive in their 21 game winning run as compared to Man United's 21 game unbeaten away run so far. And something had to give. And ultimately, Manchester United absolute shouldn't say absolute. You know what? I'm um, fuck it. Manchester United and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer outplayed and out Pep Guardiola and Manchester City. A result I definitely did not see coming. But I'll take it all day long. What what Gabriel Jesus was thinking to give that penalty away is beyond me. But that picture of seven City players around Martial is going to make rounds all over football Twitter till eternity. Anytime you criticize Martial, that's what they're going to show. Um, and then Luke Shaw. I mean, man's turned into prime Roberto Carlos all of a sudden ever since Alex Tellez came to Manchester United. And I think for all the criticism that had gone uh, soldier and united's way this was a perfect response and it seems that every time there is a big game and all jobs on the line quote unquote it, they come out and produce a performance like this and as far as any english fans who were watching or any or if garrett southgate was watching they showed you the blueprint on how to score a goal in the euros coming up you put dean henderson there he passes it to luke shaw Goes up there to Marcus Rashford, gives a back goal. Like th- th- it was brilliant to watch. And overall, like I think it it showed in the way that Kevin De Bruyne came out and talked about it at the end of, uh, in the post match conference. Where I think for them it's just another game. Like they uh, there are guys like Foden and company who probably understand it and really want to win. But at the end of the day, it's just another game. They're up by what thirteen points now? It's eleven points or whatever. They were never gonna take this as like a must win game the way a man United did. And uh, it showed and ultimately in the performance. Yeah. I, it's really hard to disagree with any of
1: what you just said. I think uh, United deserve a whole lot of credit for this match. When you look at the shot chart of this game, uh, city are really very good. If you look at most other shot charts of matches that they play, there's a lot of shots that they take, obviously because they dominate their opponent, but specifically their shots, kind of central and in the six, six yard area of the keeper. And they're just, there's one that's like on the six yard line here. And it's from the 86th minute uh, from Gundogan from a corner. It's really impressive uh, what the Manchester United defense did to just kind of keep them out and keep them at bay. And, you know, granted city are always capable of having a stunning strike that undoes your defense like that, but that wasn't the case today. Uh deserve a lot of credit for that defense. And, you know, I think that United were helped a little bit by the uh, early penalty. Uh, definitely kind of got them into their game plan, I think, and gave City something to chase. And that's always kind of how I think United want, wanted to play this game, kind of protecting a lead and looking for a counterattack, I think, because that's really where I think United have shown that they can really hurt city is, you know, just exploiting the, the attackers for United uh, getting one-on-one matchups with city defenders. uh, And, and then, like you said, Shaw coming in (laughs) on overlap. Like that's, that's another dimension that I think has been added this year. And it's a really bad matchup for city, I think. And United do a lot of things that are difficult for them to,
0: to counter in the way that they usually play. Yeah, and uh, I th- I think, especially having the pace up front, hopefully, uh, I think Rashford has an injury that he might miss the next couple of weeks, which could be crucial for United, but Martial looked like his old self. That really made me happy. And, da- I mean, Dan James, he's been... The two times he's played... At- yeah, he- he's played at two times in at Etihad, and United's won both times. So, like, not even freaking Kevin De Bruyne has a 100% accuracy rate like that at uh, Etihad. But... I, I will say this, as far as Manchester United are concerned. I think this game shows you all the good that Man United has to offer in terms of Wan-Bissaka, right? What, what is he really good at? He shuts down that left-hand side for the opponent, right? Like, you're not going to get past him. And he, even if you do, he's going to make it really hard to do something meaningful. This is a game where that really plays into his hands because he doesn't have to worry about creating, going up there and playing, uh, you know, give putting balls in and as you said i think let me rephrase that i think as far as manchester united are concerned this is this was the game they had to win but they have to keep going on a run like i think you can say that manchester city are vulnerable and in their entire run that they had of the 21 game when barely did they ever go behind and this was the last game they would want to go behind because as you said united can sit back and just counter at that point and that's more or less what ended up happening in the first half because United were not very good at the ball. So, funnily enough, I think Maguire had an interview after the game where he said they looked at Man City and City had scored in the first 15 to 20 minutes almost every game in that run. So, when they started the game, you see Bruno start the game off, gives it to Lindelof, who just hoops it up in order to make sure like they can get out there and get some pressure and that ended up getting the penalty, which tells me that there are still vulnerabilities as far as Man City are concerned, they might not be the Bayern Munich of 2019-20, the way I was saying. But, I mean, they're going to bounce back from this at the end of the day. And uh, barring some serious, serious setback, I still think, like, the quadruple is the goal. Quadruple is on the table. And it the quadruple is theirs to lose, right? Like, the yeah. FA Cup, they're the best best team left. They're a Jose Mourinho final away from winning the League Cup. They're 11 points clear in the league, and they're the best team in Europe. So, like, they, they everything is still there for them. United just won the game. So, we'll see how this whole thing goes, but, uh, hey, a derby win is a derby win, and go fuck yourself, Pep Guardiola, because <laughs> you are... Frank Lampard left, so now Pep Guardiola has officially taken the nickname of being Ole's bitch. That's how I'm going to end that, and we'll see when David Moyes wins against Ole, what I'm saying, but that we shall talk about that when and if that happens going from one current manchester united manager to uh, the former manchester united manager uh, jose Mourinho played a game against crystal palace and tottenham absolutely dominated the game in my opinion there was times where they didn't end up taking the chances at least in the first half but the second half harry Kane, my like I feel sad for him because he's going to be he's going to end up wasting his whole career at Spurs but he's in my books for this season he has been good enough to be up there in the conversations for one of the best players in the league if not the whole if not Europe the problem is he's done it in Europa League he's done it in league and against opponents who don't necessarily matter so having said that tottenham are trying to come back and can very well make a run at the top four if bale starts firing um i mean son is there still i don't know what's up with him but bale son lucas Kane. it looks like there's something good that could happen in these last couple of games and especially with the final coming up this season could really turn upside down for spurs by upside down, I mean, from bad to being a very decent season, if they do end up with a couple of trophies and uh, get Champions League football.
1: Yeah, it's it's looking like a really effective front four. Um, Kane coming back from injury earlier than I thought he was and getting kind of back into form. Bale kind of coming out of nowhere to, to come from a guy who didn't ever really play to being an impactful player. Uh, for the Spurs team, um, you mentioned like Son's kind of disappeared. But like, I also think that was just kind of him coming back down to earth after a uh, really hot start. Like I mentioned a couple times, I think he had like six goals on nine shots or something <laughs> to start the start of the season. Like that was never going to continue throughout the season. Uh, but I think what you have is like these this front four is a really, really dangerous front four. And if they're clicking, it's it's very tough to stop them, I think. And not really what I want to say uh, with the North London Derby coming around the corner. Um, but it's it's going to be tough to keep them out if, if they're firing. I still think that there's some deficiencies on the back for the Spurs team. And, you know, a uh, Harry Winks-Hoyberg uh, midfield pairing is not one that I, I would really fear that much. Um, so it's... I think they're still vulnerable. It's just obviously Crystal Palace are never going to exploit that. Um, and I think you're right. Spurs completely dominated this game, deserved
0: winners. Uh, really good, solid game for them. Yeah, and as you hinted about the North London Derby coming up next week, I think it really is going to be the test of the two teams in terms of who is kind, who, who can kind of make a run at Europe from the league positions as compared to depending completely on Europa League and other uh, fixtures um by fixtures i mean the other cups that they are in so it shall get interesting i'm assuming but as far as this game goes credit to tottenham for uh, beating a 13 place crystal palace 4-1 and people seem to think like credit to them obviously for winning the game united didn't beat crystal palace obviously but like can we just calm down like every time fucking any team wins outside of man united it's like oh look they're back like chill they're not back we'll see what happens in the north london derby uh talking about teams being back. Chelsea looks like they're back again. Chelsea too. Everton nil. A game that I think Everton probably needed to win more than uh, Chelsea in order to remain in the hunt. However, they still have a game and had to stay within the top four races and keep the pressure on everybody else. But the inconsistency of Everton was really showcased in this game where Chelsea really took the game to them. Havertz had a good game. Finally paid back like $1 million out of the $75 million that they paid for him and uh, timo warner i mean guys got to finish like genuinely don't know what when he's going to start finishing cuz he's he's making runs he's getting the ball but he's just not being able to finish and uh, i think once chelsea took the lead with an own goal it wasn't necessarily going to be a competition after that
1: yeah i think that Uh, Everton or a team kind of wants to, for lack of a better word, pop up in moments. So they get a set piece, whether it's a corner, they've got the guys who can go attack it. But if it's a pretty open game, I don't really know they offer that much going forward. Like I, I just have not really been, that impressed. Other than earlier in the season when it when it looked like it was kind of clicking for them, I think the season's kind of caught up with them, and now that everyone's at full pace, uh, they're still a pretty decent team. But I think they've been up and down this year. A lot of credit to Chelsea; they thoroughly dominated this game, um, and some good performances in there. Like you're right about Werner, uh, about him not finishing. Um, But at some point, if he gets in, if he keeps getting in the positions at some point, you got to think it's going to come good because it it doesn't look like he's completely forgotten how to finish. It's just like I've seen some that are like it just goes on the other side of the post or it just he tries to get it onto his stronger foot and just doesn't have the time and that sort of thing. So I think there's still some adjusting to the league that's going on there and kind of having to. Deal with defenders as opposed to having acres of space <laughs> like you do in the Bundesliga. um But I, I don't know; like it's really good uh, for Chelsea overall. Uh, they've beaten the teams that are in front of them. The slash run with Tuchel, and I think it deserves some credit for that.
0: Yeah, and I think it it will be very, very interesting to see if they can continue this with the fixtures that they will have in the run-in for the top four at the end. So. Uh, Going to be interesting to keep an eye out on Chelsea and uh, they are in the Champions League. They're in the driver's seat against Atletico to go through as well. So this could really, they are a team, I will say again, that can make that run in Europe. They have the experience and for what it's worth, man, Alonso on the left, along with the, what's his face? Alonso on one side, you have Aspie on the other, you have Hudson odoi Timo Warner, Havertz and company up front. I think it really adds a dimension to the attack they didn't have. And as far as Everton goes, they like to play the ball in the air. Chelsea are really good at defending crosses. Like Mendy is yeah. a tall ass fucking dude, right? He does, he does not let you just cross the ball around and with the players in Rudiger, Christensen and all. So, and Zuma's very teams good
1: in
0: the there. Air. Yeah, is very good as well. So, this is a very, very good Chelsea team that we're finally seeing the a little bit of the 250 million that they spent over the summer, finally showing a little bit of their quality and uh, could be scary signs uh, for the rest of the Premier League and Europe in general. Moving on to the last game of the weekend West Ham to Leeds United. Nil. Did I say Jesse Lingard was going to score? Yes, I fucking did. Cause that boy has been on fucking fire. Like I, I am just so happy for the guy to see him go out there and do his thing. Took the penalty, missed the penalty, but still scored. And uh, I guess Declan Rice is going to be like, hey, give me my penalties back. Uh, Having said that, I think 2-0 keeps the pressure on. No midweek games for them. Big game against Manchester United coming up. David Moyes could very well be in this situation where they end up being in the Champions League next year.
1: Yeah, they've got as good a shot at it as anyone It does. They've got some key matches here coming up that are are really going to be defying. They've got an Arsenal team that's going to want to catch up on. They got United Um, Wolves that will, they're always a difficult out, even if they're not necessarily going to beat you that that much, like they're, they're going to make you work for it. Um, So West Ham have some really interesting fixtures coming up, but they also have some, if they get the results, they're going to, Move farther ahead in that, and so and be more secure in their Champions League spot. So, it's really, really impressive what they are doing. Um, I just did not see this coming at all this season, and they are just playing with a lot of confidence. They're going, they know exactly what their game plan is, and go out and execute it. And um, Moyes deserves a ton of credit, and and for me, I think it's he's very, very clearly
0: the manager of the year. I think I think barring a collapse from here on out, he will be the manager of the year. the The only reason I'm saying it is because at the end of the day, if, if Pep Guardiola ends up with the, uh, you know, ninety odd points and a domestic trouble again, he- it's going to be hard to overlook th- overlook that. But not for I think, me. <laughs> I mean, not for you. I mean, the, the I don't problem get to is vote, the- though. <laughs> Yeah, like, the problem is the way that these awards have been given out. Like, I think people like people are going to be romantic about fucking Bielsa. You know, he lost the game. Like, I'm I- not going to go down that rabbit hole again about Bielsa. But David Moyes, in my opinion, also should be the manager of the year. Like, I think so far what he's done has been outstanding. But... We've seen it before. I mean, Jordan Henderson fucking won Player of the Year last year. So like, it, yeah, it, they they give those symbolic gestures for the for no fucking reason, as if the award like as if the award like a lifetime achievement award over and over again. So we'll see. But David Moore is happy to see him back, uh, doing his thing. Hopefully, not having Jesse Lingard against Manchester United is really going to affect how they play, and really uh, demoralizes the team. But outside of that, I mean, they are a team that, as you said have as good a chance as any and uh, could really make a huge impression having said that that is it from us i believe um we do have the manchester city southampton game uh that's going to happen on wednesday i think we all know where we would bet in that situation and uh, don't necessarily see southampton have a whole uh, lot of chance to come back and win anything in this situation but if Southampton, if you could pull off a stunner, don't worry, United going to lose to West Ham. So it'll it'll even everything out. But should be a good, good game. And uh, I think it will be, that should be it from us. We're going to see you later this week with our previews. Big, big North London derby coming up, as well as a lot of exciting games, in my opinion, uh, ranging from, you know, Una- Man United-West Ham to Vols-Liverpool that really... In a normal year, maybe you don't look at it like, oh, that's a game I want to see. But top four contenders going at it, possible relegation contenders going at it could really bring out the best out of all of these teams. So tune in uh, for that, and we will give you our betting previews and our thoughts for the upcoming weekend's games. But thank you for joining us. Please subscribe, review, rate, whatever you can, and help us spread the word. Thank you so much. I hope you have a good week.